Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things and parables, and in his teaching he said to them, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is the gospel of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, your word has been sown here among us, and so we pray that it would bear fruit in our lives and in the church. Thirty-fold, sixty-fold, a hundred-fold. Lord, do your work. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I am going to shamelessly steal from Carly Simon's 1972 hit from my introduction this morning and say, you're so vain, you probably think this parable is about you. I'm being just a little bit facetious because, of course, these words of Jesus, like all Scripture, is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That's how Paul puts it in 2 Timothy chapter 3. But I'm afraid that many of us down through the years have actually missed the point of Jesus' parable. And instead of understanding what Jesus calls in verse 11 the secret of the kingdom, we have all become introspective soil inspectors, trying to figure out if we're among the chosen who will bear fruit. 
But that introspection, if there is a place for it at all in our understanding and application of this parable, I think it comes in, a, comes in at a distant third in the order of what we're supposed to get out of this parable. The first thing, the most important thing that Jesus is trying to get across is the remarkable kingdom growth that people should expect from his ministry in the word, the amazing growth of the kingdom. That's the most important thing that we're supposed to understand in this parable. And second, Jesus is explaining to the disciples how different people around them are hearing him and reacting to him. And then third, only then is there really an invitation to you to consider how you are responding to Jesus. But let's not put that first. Let's not make that the most important thing because that's not the most important thing that Jesus wants us to hear. Now those are going to be our three points. The amazing growth of the kingdom. How, is, how are people responding to Jesus? And then what is your response to Jesus? Before we get to those three points though, this is the first time in our study of the Gospel of Mark that we've hit a parable. And so because this is a unique kind of speech in the Gospels that is often misunderstood, we need to spend just a couple of minutes talking about what a parable is, how we understand parables. The first thing that I want you to hear about a parable is that it is not Jesus' way of easily communicating hard ideas. A lot of times you've probably heard this, Jesus Man, he was a master storyteller. Anytime he had something really hard to get across to somebody, he'd tell a story, he'd tell a parable. And they would have, you have you know, these elements of people's lives around them, like fishing and farming. And so people would really be able to understand what Jesus was trying to get across. That's exactly opposite of the point of the parables, actually. Did you catch what Jesus says here in the middle in verse 12? He quotes from Isaiah 6. Why is he speaking in parables? So that some may indeed see but not perceive, may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Parables are actually words of judgment. That God is, that Jesus is speaking over the people of Israel who have rejected the words of the prophets that were sent before him. It's only those to whom he explains these parables who are on the inside, who are understanding these things, those are the ones who are re receiving the, the, the hidden secrets of the kingdom. So first, don't think of a parable as an easy-to-understand story. In fact, parables are very difficult to understand. The second thing is a parable normally has one big point it's trying to convey. But if you're a Bible study person, if you love to, to jump into the text and rip it apart and try to understand it, you're in danger of actually reading into the parable things that aren't there. Too often we'll dissect all of the different parts of a parable and then we'll apply those to other parts of Scripture. So, for instance, in verse 15, the birds in this parable are, some, are symbols of satanic opposition. 
But that doesn't mean that when birds show up in other parables or in other parts of Scripture, that they are symbols of satanic opposition. Except for those grackles at H-E-B. Man, they are symbols. <laughs> Hate those things. In fact, if you keep reading in Mark chapter 4, you get to another parable, verse 32. Jesus is comparing the remarkable growth of the kingdom to a tree. And he says that the birds of the air will nest in its branches. There, those birds are a sign of the kingdom's success, not of opposition to the kingdom. So first, parables are hard to understand. Second, be careful of over-interpreting parables. And then third, when Jesus is speaking his parables, he is always trying to communicate one big idea. And the big idea for Matthew, Mark, and Luke, everywhere you find a parable is what is the kingdom of God like? That's the big thing that he's trying to communicate. So don't think of parables like Aesop's fables. Don't think of parables like Proverbs. Don't think of parables as if they are intended to convey timeless truths. The point of this parable is to explain to the disciples why people are responding to him, the king, the way that they are. And then he wants those disciples to be confident, confident in the kingdom's success. And that's going to become especially important for the disciples because Jesus' popularity is peaking. And here, pretty quick, people are going to start turning against Jesus. And the disciples are going to wonder, what happened? This is what Jesus is communicating to them. Now, I have to admit that I have preached this text before, and I have made the mistake of focusing most of my time on the soils and how we are all different kinds of soils and asking ourselves to examine us, examine, you know, what kind of soil are you? But if we stop there, if we make this parable an exhortation to introspection, we're actually going to miss the promise. We're going to miss the promise of the kingdom. We're going to miss the secret that Jesus is trying to convey. So let's begin with this promise. What is the promise that Jesus is conveying? The promise is this. Despite what might seem like foolishness, despite what might seem like weakness, the ministry of Jesus will lead to miraculous growth and fruitfulness. It's amazing what he predicts. It's amazing this, this fruitfulness of 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. How does it get there? Well, it gets there in a very inauspicious beginning. The farmer in Jesus' parable is not the guy you want to hire to work on your farm. Starting in verse 4, this farmer's just throwing seed kind of wherever his reach can make it. He doesn't have any intention at all of conserving seed. He doesn't have any intention at all of making sure it falls in the right soil. He is throwing seed everywhere. But from that seed, we read in verse 8, a harvest of 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold will result. 
Now, some of you are, are really good with your money, with your investments, and you've got it in stocks and bonds and mutual funds and all kinds of different things. And you know, even with all the ups and downs of our stock market, you know that kind of stretched out over decades, you can pretty much anticipate that you're going to get about a, a 10% annualized return on those investments. What would you do if your return was 10,000%? 10,000%. That's what a hundredfold increase is. You guys, not even Bernie Madoff promised that kind of return. The people listening to this parable would have been astounded. They would have been mystified. Jesus, what are you talking about? The, the regular way that it worked in Jesus' life, a normal crop yield would be about tenfold a 10 to 1 return on the investment of that seed. And with that, the farmer would pay his debts. With that, he would set aside some grain to eat. He would use some to barter. He might have some money later on that he could use. And then he'd have some that he'd set aside to plant for the next year. But Jesus says tenfold. <laughs> now, my ROI starts at 30-fold, and it grows from there. Despite its weakness, despite its vulnerability, God will ensure that the kingdom's increase is miraculous. Now, how can Jesus guarantee such a harvest? Well, it all begins with the seed. Look at verse 14. Mark says that the seed is the word. Now, this pass or this parable is also told in the book of Matthew. In the book of Matthew, it's called the word of the kingdom. It's also told in the book of Luke. In the book of Luke, it's called the word of God. So, what is this word that we're thinking of? Well, the word is both Jesus himself, the logos, the, the living speaking word, as well as the good news announcement about the kingdom that is centered on him, the gospel. That word is radically different than any other word that you can hear in this world. And it is radically different from our good ideas about how life is supposed to be, how we're supposed to be transformed, how the world is supposed to be changed. You see, if it were up to me, the world would be transformed. The, the people around me would be transformed by power. That's how I want to see things happen. I want to bend people's wills. I want to make them listen and behave but instead of reward and punishment, the word we must hear and believe actually begins with death. Unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, Jesus will also say, it will not see life. Where does this word die? It's on the cross. On the cross, Jesus reconciles us to God. On the cross, he sows the seed of our own transformation. He sows the seed of the entire recreation of the world. 
Because just like a little tiny seed is covered over with soil, well, he buries himself like that seed in the earth. And his resurrection, that's the beginning of this great harvest that he promises. Now, the temptation not only for Christians, but even for our unbelieving family and friends is is to look at this historical curiosity and scoff. I mean, seriously, what good is a dead Jew to me? Of what possible benefit to the cosmos is the tortured and crucified body of a Roman criminal? It certainly makes no sense at all. If you conceive of the Christian faith as being about success, winning, power, prestige, influence. If your idea about the Christian faith is happiness, about achieving all of your personal dreams, about having kids who behave and marriages that thrive and economic vitality and and power over our enemies, then nothing about Jesus makes sense. But of course, that's not what the Christian faith is. It's really about death and resurrection. It's about how God continues to reach down into the graves that we dig for ourselves and pull us out, giving us new life. Folks, God doesn't take a bulldozer to the world. He sows it with seeds. A reality that is so weak So vulnerable, it can be picked off by birds and scorched by the sun and choked out by thorns. But though small, the kingdom of God will transform the world more radically, more powerfully, more thoroughly than we could ever imagine or accomplish with our own good ideas. The success of this harvest is dependent on the word. But the success of this harvest is also dependent on the identity of that sower. Who's the one out there spreading the seed so radically, so, what's the word I'm even looking for? So so haphazardly. That's why we have pastors that sit here. I finished five minutes early, so I'm like way off my notes uh, now, first service. So haphazardly, how did he do, who is this? Well, I'm not the sower, and you're not the sower. The church isn't the sower. Not even Jesus is the sower. The sower is God the Father. He's the one who has sown the word into the world. He has invested that word with power to change the world. Folks, the same word that spoke creation into existence will speak a new creation into existence. And that includes you, but it's not all about you. It doesn't end with you. 
In fact, you are among the 10,000% increase. You are one of those stars in the sky. You are one of those grains of sand that show that God has been faithful to His promise. I've given almost all of our time to this first point because it's the secret of the kingdom. This is the thing that nobody expected. When Jesus became less popular, when he dies a, a tortured criminal's death, everybody just dusted their hands off and said, next. What's the ne- who's the next Messiah that's going to promise something? Nobody expected this. This is the most important thing that Jesus is trying to communicate. But quickly... Let's take points two and three together. How does this parable explain the reaction to Jesus that the disciples can see? And then secondly, finally, how does it apply to you? What what do we do with this? So first, Jesus is telling this parable because he wants the disciples not only to know about the massive success that is awaiting them, but also to help them understand why people are reacting the way that they are. Again, Jesus is at the height of his popularity. Many people are responding positively to him, but soon the crowds will fade away. Will the disciples be disheartened? Will they turn away too? In order to give them confidence, Jesus helps them understand what's happening. The hard soil. Who is it that the the seed just bounces off? It's the religious leaders of Israel. And as Jesus points out here in Mark chapter 4, even the little bit that they had will be taken away because they have rejected Jesus and his message. The rocky soil, the, the soil filled with thorns, well, that's these crowds. The crowds who love Jesus. Man, they like this king of bread. Give me, Jesus, all that you have for me. Heal my kids. Give me food to eat. Cast out these demons. Yeah, but you can't follow me unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Huh. I think I need a new Messiah. What about the good soil? Think of people like Anna. The prophetess in the temple. Simeon, we're going to sing his song at the end of our service. Jesus' own mother, Mary. Nicodemus from the Sanhedrin. People that may not have completely understood everything that Jesus said, but they still looked to him and said, it's there and it's in you that God's promises are coming to fulfillment. Now what was true in the first century is still true today. People respond to Jesus in different ways. There are people that you know who have desperately hard hearts. You can't even talk about Jesus with them. Sometimes they're in your own family. You pray against satanic opposition. You pray that the gardener would turn up that ground. There's also going to be be people who... Because of the hot sun of persecution, will fall away. They might have seemed like they were totally on fire for Jesus at one point, and now there's almost nothing there. And then so many who 
the deceitful promises of this world will choke out their faith. But folks, what I want you to also understand is that the description of the soils is not a fatalistic description of the way people will always be. The priests of Israel, they didn't much like Jesus. They were part of that inner circle that had rejected him. But after Jesus rose again and the apostles began preaching, we read in Acts chapter 6, verse 7, that many of the priests became obedient to the faith. That hard ground, it became good soil. The disciples themselves had walked and talked with Jesus, had been part of his inner circle for three years. The secrets of the kingdom had been revealed to them, and what happened? They all fell away when persecution hit. The hot sun of persecution choked out their life, but then you get to John chapter 21, verse 15, and Jesus patiently restores them. All of us have been these soils. Sometimes all of the soils in one day. (laughs) Folks, don't lapse into fatalism. Don't think, oh, as I look back over my life, this is how I've been. I, I've rejected the story of Jesus. I, I sometimes struggle to obey when other things are held out to me that are more interesting. Don't think that there's nothing that can change your soil. Cry out to the gardener. Reveal my hard heart. Where are my rocky places? What thorns threaten to choke me out? Friends, he will answer that prayer because the gardener wove your your thorns into a crown to wear on his brow. He was buried in a tomb of stone. His blood ran down the cross and watered the earth making it good and fruitful soil. If you belong to Jesus this morning, you are part of that 10,000% increase. And through you, God is still sowing the life and death of Jesus into the world. He's using you. He's using every small effort you make to showcase the glory of the world to come. Let's pray. Father, it's hard to look sometimes at the seed of the Word and believe that from that tiny little thing that just even disappears the moment that it hits the ground, how can there be great success? And yet you tell us that it's through the foolishness of God that the wisdom of man is brought to its end. So God, give us eyes to see and hearts to believe, ears to hear and eyes that are filled with hope, particularly when the sun shines hot, when the thorns begin to scratch, when the soil seems hard. Father, focus our eyes on the promise 
and your ability and your faithfulness to fulfill that promise, not only in our lives, but in this world. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.